If you could get your Bibles and turn them to Isaiah chapter 53, it's going to be our text this morning, and I just want to ask the Lord's help, if that's okay. God, we need your grace. We need you to speak now. Would you preach your word? God, I have a feeling that this is going to be a bit raw of a morning, but it's okay if you're here. I pray that you would do the work that you seek to do among us now through your word, through this man of sorrows. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been unwrapping several different names or titles of Jesus this Advent season. If you can remember, which one do we start with? Yeah, Jesus Christ, the, the Sunday school one, right? And then from there we went to the Lion of Judah. I love somebody's paying attention. And we've, third, we've, last week we were where? The great high priest. The great high priest. So we've, we've kind of had some very like, joyful, powerful, and then intimate times as we've looked in God's word together this Advent season. And I think that there's another uh, component to this and to our Jesus that I, I think is appropriate for us to, to look at today. And and that's why I think it might be a little bit more raw, a little bit more close, a little bit more lowly than normal. And so I just, that's my warning to you. Uh, if you came expecting full joy this morning, I promise you there, it's there, uh, but we've got to go through uh, this man of sorrows to get there. So how many of you have done uh, your, your Christmas shopping? You've got it all finished and you're ready to go. How many of you have to do it today? Okay. True. Hey. No shame there, right? Hey, at least you're doing it, right? Like, you could be like, eh, nothing for me. Well, so I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the, the temperature of people's personalities turns up a little bit as you go out into the public arena in Christmas season, doesn't it? Now, when I say that, some of you are like, yeah, man, people are just jerks, right? I'm, I'm not, I was actually saying, no, the temp- actually, people seem to be a lot nicer, like, I mean, I'm in the grocery store, I'm, I'm checking out, and this cashier's like, it's her best day. I'm like, man, oh, she's like, have a Merry Christmas. I'm like, shoot, I'll take some of the joy you got too with me, right? I'm hoping it's Jesus in there, but, and then like you're driving and people are just like, oh, you first. No, 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 you first, right? And it's like, this is so random. The season has a way of kind of doing that to us, right? Uh, people are, are rushed, but they're also joyful. They're expecting something. And then, so you kind of have that component to the, to, the, to the month, to the season, to the holiday. But I also uh, realize that there's another component to the holiday that we don't like to talk about because um, it makes a lot of us uncomfortable. And even though we might not like to admit it, this season has a way of dragging out of the emotional closet, kicking and screaming, all of our sorrows and sadnesses. It has a way, the season has a way of reminding you of the things that you were once sorrowful over, maybe kind of suppressed throughout time, and then yet it just kind of drags it back out and exposes it again, and you feel those sorrows over And the crazy thing about this season that it doesn't discriminate which sorrows to pull out. It'll just pull out all of them. Every single sorrow that you've felt. It doesn't discriminate. All sorts of sorrows get 
drug out. Pains about what once was and has been lost get pulled out. Sorrows about what will never be in your life. Expectations that never came to fruition. Hopes that never came to pass. Those get drug out kicking and screaming too, don't they? And I'm not necessarily saying like sorrows about stubbing your toe. I'm talking about deeper ones than that. They have a way of being brought out and amplified by this season. And I'll bet you, if you were to take a good look at the sorrows that you've felt, they have mostly to do with relationships, human relationships with people, carbon-based units, as one of my mentors once said. A lot of your pain revolves around certain relationships, I would imagine. And it's no surprise... I, uh, in preparation for this Sunday, read through the book, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, one that I would highly recommend to you. If you want a a nice quick read, it takes about two hours. I'd commend that one to you, especially if you're somebody who's in a grief. One of the things that that book says is that all human relationships end in pain. It is the price that our imperfection has allowed Satan to exact from us for the privilege of love. The greater the love, the greater the pain and grief. The stronger the faith, the more savagely will Satan storm its fortress. Brothers and sisters, I realize that for many of you in here and some of you who are watching at home, that this is going to be the first Christmas you have where somebody's missing from the table. I got the call yesterday morning that uh, one of our members, Liz Jones, passed away. Um, Today, actually today, uh, it marks nine months since Tom passed away, Tom Hayes. The 22nd marks five months since Michael Moles, Jr., and Dolly Floyd passed away. The 16th of this month marked eight months since Ted Glover passed away, Jane Ellen Glover's husband. So many of our families are experiencing the first time this holiday season, the loss of somebody not being at the table that should be there. Some of you have experienced it for the past few years now. Think of Dave Sabin. Just a year year ago, passed away. Lisa, your mom, Janet. You've got J.C. Bales passed away. And Paul Dodd. We have Peggy Rogers and... And Doug and Virginia Batten and Lori Clark and Jean Bosco Bizimana. And, and those are just some to name the few that are members here and have passed away since I've been here. That's not to mention those of you who have had family that go to other churches that have passed away. Who won't be there this Christmas. Dads and grandparents. 
And I'm not just talking about the the pain that you experience from the loss that comes from death. Sometimes it comes from people just walking out of your life. Kids who have just left and want nothing to do with their mom and dad anymore. You've got spouses who have just packed up and, 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 and left the family. And all of this Christmas, when you see everybody celebrating and everything's warm and bright, you can't help but go into the season with this great sorrow being dragged out again. And I'll tell you what, if you think long enough, sorrows can abound. So what are we supposed to do with these sorrows? Where do we go with them? Are we stuck in them for all of our lives until the trumpet sounds? Is that, is that what, what we're to expect in the Christian life? Well, maybe we don't want to be stuck in them, so we try to find ways to drown our sorrows. We get really busy with life, busy in relationships, busy with hobbies. Or maybe we try to numb our sorrows with painkillers, and I'm, I'm not just simply talking about pills, like sorrows, like painkillers, like we're talking, uh, just trying to uh, avoid all sense of pain by numbing with alcohol or drugs, with bad relationships, with screen time, with just vegging out, right? Like there's all sorts of ways that you can try to kill the pain or numb it, and it never works. Now, there's also the flip side to this. You can, you can hold on to your sorrow and grasp onto it so hard that it actually becomes a part of your identity. It becomes a part of your personality. And it's, it's something that you're carrying constantly into every sphere and every circle. And it's just this, it, it just diminishes your personality. And all they get is an exhausted you, not the real you. Some, with their sorrows, raise a fist at God. And they blame Him. Now, if you're a Christian, and if you follow Jesus, I'm assuming you are here because of that. Uh, Let me just go ahead and remind you of something that C.S. Lewis reminded us, me, of in his book, A Grief Observed. Um, We were promised sufferings. He actually says it's part of the program, right? He, he says we've got nothing that we haven't bargained for. In fact, if you can remember one of the most comforting beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. How? By, by what? By who? Right? He said that that's the promise in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why haven't we experienced comfort? You may be asking. Who's, who's supposed to bring it? The man of sorrows. The man of sorrows that we're introduced to in Isaiah 53. This passage is all about what we uh, have named or who we've named the suffering servant. 
A lot of Jews worked really hard to dismiss this passage. In fact, some of them don't even include it in their, in their Old Testament texts. It's not included in their readings because it's, it's too severe about their Messiah dying for sin. But we have these verses in here that are going to introduce us to two truths that I'm begging the Holy Spirit to convince us of this morning. The first truth is simply this, that Jesus came to know your sorrow. The second thing, second truth, is that Jesus came to carry your sorrow. I want to show you it in the text. Look at verse 3. He, the suffering servant, we know is the Messiah, our Jesus of Nazareth. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows is an identity claim. It's about this man. When, when you, you, a man of character, right? You hear that phrase? A man of nobility. It's something that's true about their nature. It's true about their identity. So we have this Jesus, this Son of God, this Messiah, whose identity is a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. In other words, he knows grief really, really well. But how can this be true? How how can it be true of the Son of God? How can an infinite, holy, perfect God come to know sorrow? Think about it. Is there anything that's broken in heaven? No. That's why we all want to be there. There's nothing wrong there. Everything is right. Every sad thing is untrue there. So how can the Son of God existed before creation, come in his existence to know sorrow and grief. In other words, how can a God who doesn't know sorrow come and care for me who's in sorrow? Like, he, he doesn't know what it's like. How... how How is he going to care for me? How can he comfort me with something he doesn't know what it's like to experience? Well, that's what Christmas is all about. The incarnation. The God of the universe taking on flesh, entering into our brokenness, into a fallen creation. Why? Among the many, many reasons here we find that he came, he incarnated so he can identify with our sorrows. He came to know our sorrows. It's not like he showed up and then found out that there were sorrows in the universe. Oh man, I didn't, I wasn't expecting this. Man, no. He came knowing full well all the sorrows, and he said, I want to experience them with this humanity. 
he came so that he can become well acquainted with grief and sadness. Like, guys, I, I, Jesus knows the pain of family division. He had brothers and siblings who were like, this dude's a loony. He knows, he knows the pain of what it's like to grow up without a father. Where's Joseph? Where's he go? Not only that, but when he's on the cross, he calls out to his heavenly dad and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows the feeling of what it's like to be fatherless. He also knows the pains of barrenness, of childlessness. He, he never had his own offspring or children, although spiritually you and I are now. He also knew the pains that you experience from singleness. He never married. He knows the pains of losing a close friend. With the death of Lazarus, right? You remember, remember his response at first with Mary? The two shortest, or the verse, the shortest verse in the Bible with two words, what does it say? God came down and weeps. He sits down with this family and he weeps with them. Which means he is in perfect obedience to his own commands because later in Romans 12 he says, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. He's not asking us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done or is willing to do. Jesus also knows the pain of losing a brother. Because of his loyalty to Jesus, Jesus' younger brother James has his head chopped off. Like, he knows what it's like to experience all the pain that comes from this fallen world. And you guys, I, he isn't just simply sympathetic to these sorrows. He doesn't just simply feel bad for us, right? Sympathy is a beautiful thing in the context of building relationships. In fact, if you don't have any sympathy for anyone else, there's actually mental disorders for that, right? You have to have sympathy in building relationships. And, and yes, there's sympathy meaning like feeling, sim pathos, uh, together feeling, right? But Jesus doesn't just simply come to be sympathetic with us. He comes to empathize with us in path, in the feeling, in the emotion. He puts our shoes on and steps with us wherever we're going, experiencing everything that we experience. He is empathetic to our plight. He shares our experiences with us. And so if you haven't yet, behold the man of sorrows with unlimited sympathy and empathy for you. Behold his huge and unlimited heart. Behold his tender and sensitive love. Do you know why this is so important for us? We who uh, kind of have this subtle distrust of everyone. You know why this is so important for us? You know how when you are, have experienced a great sorrow and, and you, have, you have people who are like, oh, I know what that feels like, right? But they don't, they've never experienced it. And, and you're, you're kind of just simply, are, well, I don't, 
trust to talk to you about this. Like, I, you don't actually know what it's like, right? You have, you, you, so you, you kind of keep somebody at an arm's length when you talk about your sorrows because they haven't experienced it yet. They don't know what it's like. But once in a while, the Lord brings across your path somebody who has experienced something very, very similar to what you've experienced in your sorrow. And as you relate to them, you find yourself feeling a little bit more drawn closer to them, willing a little bit more to trust them with your own emotions because for some reason they know. They know what it's like. They felt it before because they've shared the experience. Jesus is not a distant deity unable to relate to our sorrows. He has experienced every single one of them. And because he is holy, he cannot sin. And therefore, when he deals with you, everything he does will be perfect. Because he knows. He knows your sorrows. He knows what it's like. Surely, this Jesus, this man of sorrows, he's well acquainted with grief. So you don't have to keep him far away in your sufferings. He can be trusted. So not only did Jesus come to know our sorrows, there's the second really big truth and I think I have the wrong number up next to it. It should be number two. Jesus came to carry our sorrows. Jesus came to carry our sorrows. Can I show you that in the text? You see, one of the things that happens with this text is we run real quick to like verses uh, five and six because we know those so well because it talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, right? We, we, we run to that text because we know there is forgiveness of sins in this man of sorrows, and it's an incredible blessing. But we, we pass on by something that's subtly in there that I think is also just as amazing as this good truth. Look at verse four. Surely this man of sorrows has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely, truly. Brothers and sisters, our sorrows are like ankle weights on our heart's legs. No matter where you go, your heart can be dragged down by these weights. Your personality, the overflow of your heart can be weighed down by these sorrows. No matter what you're doing, you can, you can be weighed down by this sorrow and you can be exhausted by it. It'll wear you down. Brothers and sisters, what's the only way to make a weight lighter? Have somebody else carry it with you. 
That's the only way. If I've got a 10-pound pulpit, somebody else comes up and pick up the other side, how much am I carrying? Five. The only way to make a load lighter is to have someone else carry it. But if you're anything like any other human being, you're not one who really likes to carry weights. Unless you're a gym freak. You like to go to the gym a lot. So who on earth would ever want to carry these weights of our sorrows? The man of sorrows. This man of sorrows didn't just come to know our sorrows. He came to carry them. Have you, have you processed that yet? That Jesus doesn't just want to carry your sins, he wants to carry your sorrows as well? He wants those too. He's offering to carry them in the relationship you have with him. He's willing to come alongside and lift up the weights and make them a little lighter or a lot lighter. He's offered this invitation from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the only real time in anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus makes a statement about the nature of his heart. Who he is inwardly the most. Like, like what he represents inwardly the most. And, and in his heart, he's gentle and humble. And so for those of you who are weary and heavy laden with sorrow upon sorrow, this man of sorrows is inviting you to come. And he'll carry your sorrows. You know, brothers and sisters, I think we get it wrong we hear the phrase often a lot in our culture, especially I hear it a lot when I do hospital visits. I hear a lot of nurses or doctors uh, say the phrase, time heals all wounds. Have you heard that before? Raise your hand if you've heard that before. How many of you have experienced that as truth? What if the wound's infected? What if it's cancer? Time doesn't actually heal. It just exposes what's in there. There's only one real place where believers can go to experience this kind of healing of all of our sorrows. And it's found in verse 5. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are healed. Brothers and sisters, if your sorrows are infected with lies, time won't heal it. Time will only create more bitterness and sorrows upon sorrows which turn into self-pity and depression. If if we're going to experience healing, don't trust time. Trust the wounds of the man of sorrows. These wounds that heal us don't just heal us spiritually, they heal us physically, they heal us emotionally, they heal us mentally, they heal us relationally. In every sphere of our lives, these wounds are healing wounds from this man of sorrows who knows your griefs and sorrows and who offers to carry your griefs and your sorrows. And so I... I know none of us have a copy and paste experience of our sorrows. Your experience of sorrow is not the same as yours, and yours isn't the same as yours. And every single one of us who have experienced those sorrows upon sorrows, we've experienced them with no control over them. That's one of the hardest realities about everything that we go through in this life is that we find out again and again and again that we had no control over it in the first place. We find, we find that we can't control when that, that uh, heart monitor flatlines. We have no control over when the bank account goes absolutely dry because somebody's robbed us. We have no control over uh, the, the spouse who just decides to pack everything up and leave. You have no control over that. So are we just simply victims to all of this? If you choose to be. Brothers and sisters, you have no control over those experiences. But you do have control over whether or not you are going to seek healing in Jesus. You have Full control over that. You, you, can, you can approach this man of sorrows. He's waiting for you. He's offered the invitation. He said, come. I'll carry this with you. Until the day when I break it. And it's no more. But until then, I'll walk with you with it. You have a choice. You do have control over whether or not you seek healing in the wounds of the man of sorrows. Now, I, I, I wish that it was as simple as, <laughs> all right, if you want to make me happy, Jesus, I'll take that. I'm waiting when you are. Okay. And then you just kind of go and you're like, all right, I think, I think, Maybe he'll answer it. I wish it was as simple as that. I I wish. But the problem is our sorrows, just like our sin, need sanctifying. 
So if we're going to experience healing in the name of Jesus in his wounds, in this man of sorrow, it's going to be a pain-by-pain experience. It's going to have to be you willing to choose to go back into the memory bank or willing to sit in the sorrow that you, in the circumstances that you are now in, in individual ones, and sit there and, and wait and feel what you feel and find out what you believe in those feelings. And when you come to this core sense of truth that you like, oh, wow, I really have been convinced of it, you find out whether it's a lie or whether it's true. And if it's a lie, you've got Holy Spirit right there waiting for you to lead you into truth and convince you of His truth. But the problem is a lot of our pain is based off of just truth. It's a sad thing to lose someone. It's a sad thing to have a marriage fall apart. It's a sad thing for a kid to wander off. And, and, and what do we do with that sadness? Because there's, there's not really any lies there. It just, it just happened. You allow God to convince you of his greater truths. Again and again. And so I, I want to challenge each and every one of you I, I, I know most of you have experienced sorrow upon sorrow, some of them fresh, some of them years ago. But every time you think about it, it still stings. I wish this process was like the memory's gone. Oh, I don't remember it anymore, so <laughs> hey, now I'm good. Right? I wish, I wish, he, he doesn't go back and rewrite the story, right? You can't change past. No. Again, you'll just find out what truths you're believing in your heart. And he'll lead you into the greater ones as you approach him. And what happens in each of those individual pain-by-pain moments of sanctifying your sorrows with the man of sorrows, you will find instinctually or more naturally joy. The fruit abounds where you abide. And so, brothers and sisters... One of the best gifts among the several that you can give to this world is a you that's not burdened by sorrow. Do you hear me? One of the best gifts that everyone wants from you, one of the best gifts that you can give to everyone around you is a you freed of grief and the weight of it. In other words, I long that you would experience the promise that God made to us when he said this, I will turn their mourning into joy, I will comfort them, and I will give them gladness for sorrow. I am praying that you experience the trade Your sorrow for his joy. 
And the only way that you do that is if in every individual sorrow, you run to him, you accept his invitation, and you say, Jesus, I'm, I'm carrying this, and I don't know what to do with it, and here's what I'm believing. And there you'll find a gentle and lowly man of sorrows, well acquainted with your grief, able to counsel you because he is the wonderful counselor. So maybe, maybe that's, that's a this morning experience. Maybe that's what the Lord is wanting to do in your life now. So we'll have a time where we can pray. But I realize that sometimes it's not that simple. Some of you have sorrow upon sorrow. And so I want to ask, I want to ask that you commit that 2024, next year, is going to be the year where you seek the peace-giving intimacy with this man of sorrows. That 2024 be the year that you take control and with your own will choose to seek healing in the wounds of this man of sorrows. And so I, um, as your pastor, would love to have the honor to to meet with you, to to counsel you, to interface, uh, uh, to, 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 to walk with you into the throne room and find this man of sorrows waiting, wanting you. Uh, we, can, we can meet daytime or night. The only way I'll know is if you let me know. So, because, you know, I'm, I'm not God, right? Like, I'm not a, I'm omniscient. I wish I could think all the thoughts that I need to think when I need to think them, but I don't think them all the time. And so, if, if there's ever going to be any way that you commit to this and you actually want to seek this out, there's, there's tools, there's help, but more importantly, there's a man of sorrows who's offered to carry your griefs and your sadnesses. I want to help you find him.